Science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. There's Andy Wood. Hey, this, this is me. Hey Andy. How are things? Good. Did your parents have a good time? Parents enjoyed the visit. They've, uh, they've cleared out. They appreciated the new coffee table. There, there is a new coffee table. We're, I don't know if you can tell, listeners, we're recording. Oh yeah, it's solid wood. That was the that was the knuckle. That, that was the knuckle of our special guest this week, James Fritz. Thanks. I'd like to introduce myself one limb at a time. <laughs> that sounded... Never mind. One phalange. <laughs> yeah, this well, is you a... first did the knuckle limb, and now you're doing the voice limb. <laughs> the limb. I, I'm going to be good at science. <laughs> yeah, I do... Yep. I think you've got a nice apartment generally, and you've done a nice job with it, but there, there was definitely a step up in the apartment quality that occurred in the three days leading up to your parents coming to oh, town. It was a hasty, uh, yeah, throw stuff together. You know, I, I, I'm not, I don't want the listeners to think that I'm, uh, you know, some highfalutin Hollywood type, but I finally <laughs> just was like, I'm just going to pay someone to come clean my apartment, which I hadn't done in like a year and a half. And uh-huh. I'd say well worth it. It's uh, $100 well spent. Yeah. And I feel like now that the coffee table is here, we can also start taking pictures of, because I think part of the reason we didn't take pictures. <laughs> what were like you we using to, before? Like a old it's, it's barrel? A folding, it's like a card table. Yeah. It's like, this, this is not a uh, photogenic. We'd invite a hobo to <laughs> hold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You ever seen like Eyes Wide Shut parties where you eat sushi off a like, sure. girl on all fours? Yeah, it was like that. Oh, and this is an upgrade. Yeah. Well, in some ways. Uh, You're growing not, up. It's automation. Like we put somebody out of business. There was a nice young lady who was making a good living as our table. And now she's out in the street. James, we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? Um, well, I haven't done LSD in a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good planned joke I had. Um, <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested in science. I um, always did well in scholastic science but i never like it was never my focus or anything yeah that's cool but did you have to do science classes when you're at college um i'm trying to think about that i don't think i did actually i went to school in kentucky so (laughs) so even if you had it would have been like very biblical science yes bible we're dinosaurs friendly yeah. to people. It's either it's studying uh, distillation or uh, <laughs> right. disproving dinosaurs. But I think that's why I liked science as a uh, growing up was just as a to combat that. Right. The religion the religion religiosity of the region I grew up in. That's interesting. Like growing up in a region like that where it's almost science subvers- is political. It's subversive or rebellious to actually be yes. academic. For sure. In, a, in the science field. Uh-huh. How far from the Creation Museum did you grow up? <laughs> well, it wasn't around then. Well, okay, but it's P- Petersburg, Kentucky. It's... I know, it seems timeless. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The, the Creation Museum's only been around for a few thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> um, they put evidence that it was there earlier, but that's just to throw you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah. test us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that's in like northern Kentucky, which oh yeah, it says it's right by uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, I grew up like far western. Oh, that's that's almost yeah, that's pretty much that's more Ohio, Indiana. Yeah, it's like where they all it is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's for those big city folk. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to go someday. I mean, I think it'd be fascinating. It's like forty dollars or That's something. Oh, what? No, it's ridiculous. That's the thing. I would, I would love to have a look around, but also I don't want to financially support that bullshit. Right. So yeah. I, it's, I'm, I'm very torn. If I could find some way of sneaking it, That's, right. I thought the same like, thing. Buying a ticket to the different movie than going into the one you don't want to support. <laughs> doing that for museums. Or go there, but like steal. Forty dollars worth of stuff. Of course, forty dollars worth of damage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, uh, yeah, I'd like two tickets for me and my extraordinarily clumsy friend. Just actually break the heads off of some ostriches on the ark. Yeah. yeah. This is my uh, this is my emotional support bull. <laughs> I. <laughs> we actually have those there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those are valedictorian. I was hanging out with a friend of mine who has kids, and uh, they were watching some animated thing, and I was like, what's this? He was like, I think it's a Christian cartoon, but it's keeping him quiet. Was like, it like Veggie? Ve- it, what was that? Veggie Do you remember? Tales. It was, was it Veggie It Tales? wasn't Veggie Tales, but it, was, it took place on the Ark, oh, and yeah. uh, there were some animals that clearly didn't exist now. I'm like, oh, prediction. Those ones is going to die in the movie, oh, and they did. They were like purple, crazy animals, and like... <laughs> These things are not going to survive this movie. It's, that's the whole point of the arc. So, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that sounds dramatic to the child. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, kids' movies have to have some fucking uh, gotta have some stakes. Darkness. Yeah, you gotta have stakes. Um, Speaking of that, sorry. should we do uh, Oscar talk before we get into oh, science? Boy. <laughs> what do you think? Well, it's the <laughs> Academy of Arts and Sciences. That's right? true. That's a science yeah, yeah, yeah. and film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just keep the science ones to a separate daytime event that they show a five-minute clip of. Did you uh, enter any polls? Hide the nerds. I, uh, Avert your eyes. Here, 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 here's my, my thing about the Oscars. I, I think it's not fair. Like, Gary Oldman won Best Actor, mm-hmm. like, doing an impression of Winston Churchill. Oh, that was Churchill. <laughs> like, I don't think it's fair that he should be in the same category as people who made up their character from nothing. I like this. Like, like they split up the screenplays into two separate categories. He- oh, it's an adapted actor. Yeah, I think it should be That's like... That's a great point. I think it should be Daniel Kaluuya and Get Out should have won Best Original Actor. Yes. And, and Gary Oldman should have won Best Adapted Man. Right. Half <laughs> Adapted Man. I like that. Yeah, 70% of the job is done for him. Yeah, you just show a video of Churchill and just go that. Do that. Right. Look like that and sound like that. Do Plus that. Plus his last name is already Old Man, so he was built for the yeah, role. Let's see. Right. Not, he's not even from another continent, even. No, he didn't like, even he have didn't to change have... the accent. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's 90% there. And it was... Uh... Daniel Kaluuya, all he had to go on was, like, the script and right. a few conversations with the director as to what he wanted out of it. But, yeah. like, he had to create that from nothing. Wait. <laughs> Get Out didn't happen? Oh, Hold on right. a second. Hold on a second. Well, there wasn't any footage of it to copy. Oh, okay. okay, I see. <laughs> they just had the news articles about. Yeah, because you don't know what that guy sounded like because obviously he disappeared. And but he did. True. And he did have to change accents. Yeah, he was. He's he's yeah, a Brit. Yeah, yeah. Way more work. Because well, otherwise, he would have been like, "What's all this then?" You how, know? how Which often? It's a totally different movie. I want to see how often a, a, a Brit doing an American accent has been nominated because I a lot really oh doing God. an American accent. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Because it's usually so such an odd. There's uh, been a lot of Brits and a lot of Australians that have been nominated on. for doing American accents, and the both. Australians hide in plain sight. Like, yeah, I yeah, always yeah. think like, oh, that guy's from Texas, and it's like, oh my god. I was just talking about this uh, with 
TJ Chambers, we were uh, the other podcast I do about twin movies. We did the two Steve Jobs movies, and Michael Fassbender's American accent as Steve Jobs was so bizarre. <laughs> it was like German Kermit the Frog. And then we're talking about how long it takes actors to lose their accents when they live here, like Schwarzenegger. How has he not? That must be intentional at this <laughs> it's point. It's a choice. He's not even because Mel Gibson, TJ reminded me Australian. I totally forgot that because he's completely lost. Yeah, it. like it's just American sounding dude now. Okay, I'm going through like best actor. I'm I'm starting. I don't know the, what the accents they were doing in the in the forties. There's not a sub like Cary Grant wiki of uh, and <laughs> but like I found a sub wiki of British nominees for but in the mid Oscars in the mid 20th century everybody had the uh, everyone sounded like this what do they call it? <laughs> the mid Atlantic accent that why was sort of it's like uh, an averaging of uh, yeah American and British why accents. if it isn't someone from America or Britain who knows <laughs> it's, it's 1945 this is just the way we all talk. <laughs> We're acting now. This isn't how we sound off camera, but when we're rolling, this is how we talk. Our pants have high waists. <laughs> You're damn right I'm from Alabama. What? Alright, so some of them. Uh, uh, Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove. I'm pretty oh, sure at least he's a bunch of accents, yeah. but one of them is American in the mix, <laughs> was wasn't it? Actually, yeah, he got nominated for Best Actor. He got nominated Best Actor for Dr. Strangelove. Did they have to say what the role was in the... You know what I mean? Because he had five roles or whatever. And he won. No, for I think. I think you, you know. You're doing all of them. I think you get it. You get nominated as a. And group he won. For that one. He won for being there, right? Uh, was it Chauncey British? Chauncey? Story. Chauncey Gardner. I haven't I seen that movie in so long. He did win for being there. Let me see. Um, he was nominated but didn't win. Mm. John Hurt for the Elephant Man. What accent was he doing there? Elephant. All right. <laughs> doing an elephant accent. Af- African. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, some of them I just don't know. Tom Courtney in The Dresser. Was that a Brit? In The Dresser? Yeah. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis. Hang on. Oh, he's done a ton he's of He's done America. a load of accents. Um, what accent was he doing in My Left Foot? <laughs> left Foot. And, and, and there will be blood as well. Well, in Gangs of New York. Well, you don't know right. My Left Foot, the story of that? I think he was nominated for all of those. The guy I mean, can't do anything but move his left foot. He can't talk. Okay. So he wasn't. All right. Well, yeah. there we go. Yeah. I've never seen the film. I haven't either, but I, I think that's the premise. That of the wouldn't guy look who's sad. Completely I thought it was just a guy who was a bit grumpy because he twisted his ankle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought he couldn't dance. I thought it was like a footloose. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he won when all, he just won for foot acting? Yeah, he's that good. <laughs> I, think, I think he scrunched up his face. Damn it, now I got to... scratched up his <laughs> Scrunched up his face. Oh, like, <laughs> I, no, I don't want to be totally off the mark on my left foot, I believe. Oh, yeah, I remember that great line from that movie. My foot! Oh! <laughs> yeah. Which, which one? one? <laughs> the left one! That was all he said. <laughs> yeah, he had cerebral palsy and he can only control his oh, left foot. Well, now it's not so fun. Not as funny, but uh, it makes me want to go watch I, I still haven't seen Phantom Thread. I know it's homework. I um, loved it. Oh, really? I thought it was fun. Okay. I thought okay. it was um, very entertaining. Christ- I, I wasn't as into it, but, you know, everyone to their own. Uh, wow. Christian Christian Bale, American Hustle. There we go. That was, an, that was a Brit doing an American. Yeah, he's pretty good with American accents, I feel like. Um, he's one where he's almost accentless as a person also now. Yeah. What's Batman's accent? Yeah. <laughs> 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 The dumbest. That's, it's so distracting what, now. What, when you go back and watch those, those movies, movies like, did we all forget how dumb it was? That he just chose. It's to... like he made that choice, and there was no going back. And right. it's like I'm stuck to do this for three three hour films with this fucking I, yeah. voice. I love Pete Holmes' impression of it, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, what was Andrew Garfield doing in Hacksaw Ridge? He was nominated. I bleeding out. I think I don't. I'm guessing he was American. That was a rough watch. And then. Those are the actors. Then the actresses. Um, oh god! I, again, I had lots of films in the sixties and seventies that I just don't know. Um, then we're into like Julie Andrews for Victor Victoria, Julie Waters for Educating Rita, 
Pauline Collins and Shirley Valentine, Jessica Tandy, Driving Miss Daisy, Emma Thompson and Howard Zinn. I always, I always forget Tandy's day. British. Oh, she's... She Wait, is, is she British? Uh, yep. Oh, I always okay. forget that. Yeah, these are... Uh, Kate Winslet in Titanic. That was an English character. Helena Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. Oh, yeah. Judy Dench and Mrs. Them. Brown. These are all Brits. The Wings of the Dove. Um, what was Naomi Watts in 21 Grams? Uh, about I, I don't seven, know. eight grams. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she's done a lot of American accents. She's done a ton. But uh, I feel like I've... Is this my fault for derailing us this far away from science? I'm sorry if... Uh, <laughs> Um, my question about accents. Julianne Moore is mixed nationality. She uh, is? I didn't know really? that. Yeah. She's pure American. Apparently not. Okay. Um, He's a good man and thorough. <laughs> she, she didn't get something for Boogie Nights, did she? I mean, for Big Lebowski. Uh, no, I don't, no, that. I don't not. think that got that, anything. No, no, no. That was too silly. It was too fun. Sally Hawkins <laughs> played an American in The Shape of Water, but she played a mute American, so... Oh, okay. Mm. It's cheating. If only they could all be, am I right? <laughs> Not to get political. Okay, should we get into some actual... <laughs> Let's get into some... Well, you mentioned LSD. We've got a mushroom story. It's true. Oh, by the way, a hummingbird behind you, Matt, if you're into that kind of thing. Nope. Nope. You're not going to turn around to see... Didn't even bend the head. Refused to turn. Okay. I'm not going to be... I'm not going to play that game. No, it's real. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not... I'm not going to be... I'm not going to turn my head for that flapping temptress. <laughs> So, yes, we got an email from Paul Steenbeek with a story about why some mushrooms are magic. Um, uh, what accent was Catherine Zeta-Jones doing in Chicago? I really got you into this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, um, he's in the hole. He's even, he won't even look at hummingbirds, man. Well, she, I mean, but her, her fucking thing is, what is she, Welsh? That's she's Welsh. A whole, that's just a whole uh, basket of, of weird... Of deplorables. Uh, yes. That's what we call yeah, it. The Welsh are a basket oh, of A whole basket of deplorables. Mini driver? Um, oh yeah in Goodwill Hunting she was nominated for that yep okay she's a Brit and the, and the character definitely didn't have an accent I don't think so no yeah. anyway okay. alright stories science <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay so magic mushrooms Paul Steenbeek sent us this story uh, psychedelic mushrooms are likely develop psych, sorry psychedelic mushrooms likely developed their magical properties to trip up fungi munching insects oh <laughs> Suggest new research. Three times. Five. Yeah, uh, fungi munching. Fungi insects. munching insects. Suggest new research. The work helps explain a biological mystery and could open scientific doors to studies of novel treatments for neurological disease. Said lead re- researcher Jason Slot, an assistant professor of fungal evolutionary genomics at the Ohio State University. Oh, I've never uh, know why it's always the. I know. Really, Are you really anti Ohio State also. I hate them. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Them. I waited tables and bartended in Chicago. I, oh, God. They are the worst people I've yeah. ever met in my What's life. What's so bad? I, as someone who's not really familiar with the American college differentiations. <laughs> Like, um, what's the deal my with reason is completely arbitrary because I'm from Ann Arbor and Michigan oh, okay. and Ohio State is like the biggest rivalry, but we don't really know why. There was a war over, a bloodless <laughs> war over a strip of land, from? the Toledo Strip. There was a contested section of land between Michigan and Ohio. Okay. It's part of historical hatred between the states. But uh, I just hated them because group packs of them would come into the bar and act like they owned it in, in a completely different city and get blackout drunk and, drunk and tip horribly and just they were the worst okay. Notre Dame That's was a better reason Notre be. Dame was second worst fans but 
Yeah, they're pretty by a long shot, Ohio State. And also, the, just the V. They're the and only school that, that puts thing. that V in front of their name. Um, it's le- it's like the well, actually, of colleges. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I think they actually like parodied it in that Key and Peele thing with all the football players' names, you know? Oh, right, right, A couple right. of them say the Ohio State University. <laughs> okay, anyhow. Uh, but Jason Slot, you're doing good work. Sorry, we like your story. Um, mushrooms that contain the brain-altering compound psilocybin very widely in terms of their biological lineage and on the surface don't appear to have a whole lot in common. He said, from an evolutionary biology perspective, that's intriguing and points to a phenomenon in which genetic material hops from one species to another, a process called horizontal gene transfer, Slot said. When it happens in nature, it's typically in response to stressors or opportunities in the environment. He and his co-authors examined three species of psychedelic mushrooms and related fungi that don't cause hallucinations and found a cluster of five genes that seem to explain what the psychedelic mushrooms have in common. But our main question is, how did it evolve? Slot said, what is the role of psilocybin in nature? I got a question for you. Sure. How common a last name is Slot? <laughs> I feel like it's uh, Danish or something. Maybe. It, I've it, never heard does of it, it in my mean, life. I've never heard. This is the first Slot I've been doing the show for a while. I think it's and... Danish for castle. And I've, oh, interesting. I think. It Let sounds like a great like villain name. Like a henchman name in a movie. Yeah. Slot. Get in um, here. Jason Slot. <laughs> yeah. Slot means uh, castle, as in like Elsinore Slot. Or, How did yeah. you know that? Because of, okay, of Elsinore Slot, I think, in Denmark. I think I just remember seeing that. On, I, I don't know. What? Yeah. A- Andy's, a, Andy's a handy person on a trivia team, by the way. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Jason Castle of uh, the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> He's a slot receiver. Yeah. Come on. Um, sports. This is a sports show, right? It is. It is now. It is now. Sports, 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 sports. Uh, he and his co-authors um, found an evolutionary clue as to why the mushrooms gained the ability to send human users into a state of altered consciousness. Yeah, the genes baby. responsible for making psilocybin appear to have been exchanged in an environment with a lot of fungus-eating insects, namely animal manure. Uh, psilocybin allows fungi to interfere with a neurotransmitter in humans and also insects, which are probably their bigger foe. In flies, suppression of this neurotransmitter is known to decrease appetite. So the psilocybin is there so it won't get eaten? So that flies' appetites are decreased. They speculate that mushrooms evolved to be hallucinogenic because it lowered the chances of the fungi getting eaten by insects. Well, it also, when you do mushrooms, you don't want to eat, which is probably good. That's what you I've would heard, just, uh, hypothetically. Some, one, 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 when one, one would assume one you would assume don't get hungry when one, one, one hungry. maybe one. does. I heard, I heard on a, I think I was listening to some podcast about okay. drugs uh-huh. or something at some point, but I heard actually, <laughs> unlike <laughs> unlike certain drugs that full on suppress your appetite, like psilocybin actually you can eat, but it one just it's eat. just odd. One one could, a, a, a person this. could one, eat. One might uh-huh. find it. Uh, it's just slightly weird and different and confusing, and sometimes you one, one might, might forget to eat. <laughs> Uh, however, well, if a fly forgets, it to doesn't eat, stop you from eating is. the same way other drugs, like, f- for example, apparently this thing MDMA would stop yes. would stop you from actually suppressing your appetite. Right. One might not. One might find that more Whereas an actual mu- suppressant. Mushroom would you, you one one can still consume food comfortably. <laughs> but one forgets to eat. Might, the might food forget one to eat. Should. But but if there is food around, it would not necessarily you potentially, potentially turn day. off that person from eating it okay. in well, the same way that it would with a fly. But I mean, this if, article. if the fly forgets to eat, that's as good as not wanting to eat, right? Because if you forgot, then you don't get eaten. That's if you're true. a thing that doesn't want to get eaten and someone forgets to eat... Who's but your... one... Some ones... <laughs> Also get like one might some of these ones might get an upset stomach when they 
eat when they're coming up when they digest the, the mushrooms that's true the, 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 initial, so if the initial moment yes fly, right. one, one fly might uh, and so like if they if one did get the upset stomach and then they ate food on top of they might regurgitate much like a fly that's Flies also true and also right. to <laughs> both avoid slightly mitigate that potential for nausea uh-huh. and also to make sure that drug is absorbed well into the body so that it has the maximum effect that person might choose to not eat much in the day leading up to one the time. Might, that might be a smart choice one makes. That one person might do that. One might yeah. uh, brew a nice tea and put <laughs> also, the I've found, into it. Well, I mean, one found... <laughs> <laughs> I always have like a, cu- a few beers and cigarettes on hand just to settle the stomach. I don't know okay. if that's scientific. One might do that? A fly. A, a fly, fly of a certain inclination. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so uh, th- this reduces the chance of, of getting eaten by insects, Slot said. The psilocybin probably doesn't just poison predators or taste bad. These mushrooms are altering the insects, quote, minds, if they have minds, to meet their own needs. And the reason that unrelated species have the same genetic protection probably comes down to the fact that they commonly grow in the same insect-rich mediums, wouldn't that be media? Uh, animal feces and rotten wood. But mm. whether mind flies have minds or not is probably the kind of thing a fly would think of when it's had these mushrooms. <laughs> do, do I have a mind? You ever, you ever look at your antennae like really close? Like, what are I'm these? A fly. Things? That is so weird. That is so weird being a fly. Sometimes I look in a window and it's like I have one eye. <laughs> but then I have many eyes. Like, how do I have one eye and many eyes? Uh, 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 one, I'm just thinking one of Goldblum. Strange. <laughs> God, I, I'm so glad Goldblum's having this uh, third wave of his career or whatever. I just finally watched Thor Ragnarok. I was going to say, someone put that on. I hadn't seen it. I, I, had, I couldn't so, take my eyes off I still of haven't He seen steals it. the movie. He is the whole movie. It's the Goldblum show. And it's just like, it's, Jeff, do what you do. Uh, uh, they I'm just, just let him to, run wild. Uh, yeah. And now he's headlining, or not headlining, but he's performing at that Arroyo Seco Music Festival. I saw that. <laughs> People, if you get a chance to see he's Jeff Goldblum's pa- He's just crossed piano. over into national treasure status yeah, now. Yeah, he's like oh, Bill completely. Murray, who can, play, who can play better piano. Um, and he, he's a great piano player. Have you seen his show? At, I haven't, uh, but I've... Every, you went along every, to it once, right? Yeah, it's really good. It's every not just woman like, I know who has gone there wants to marry him afterwards. Oh, he's a charming motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. But I assumed it was like Johnny Depp playing guitar. It's like, let me guess, you know three power chords or something. Right. But no, he's a really good uh, jazz piano player. Damn it. Um, so this work could guide medical science by pointing researchers in the direction of other molecules that could be used to treat disorders of the brain, said Slot. psilocybin has been studied for the treatment of a variety of mental disorders including treatment resistant depression addiction and end of life anxiety i was gonna say i read a story a while back about or they were talking about lsd to cure depression yeah but it said it could reset the brain yeah which is really different perspectives on on life potentially one would say that that's <laughs> happened to them. Uh-huh. One light, indeed, one light. A handful of researchers in the US are looking at potential treatment applications, and much of the work is happening abroad because of uh, strict drug laws that have delayed those types of studies for decades. Delays one from studying these things. <laughs> Thank you for sending that in, Paul Steenbeek. Yeah, interesting. So it's not, about, it's not about getting high, it's about decreasing fly appetites. Right. If you don't want flies to eat your brain, do drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, what was? <laughs> I think that's, what that <laughs> that's exactly the takeaway yeah. from this story. That is you a. Said hun- you didn't know science, Jesus. Yeah, he's a good expert here. Um, I have 
well, what we're talking about creativity in less established, less advanced species. Mm-hmm. This is a story I can't remember now whether I found this or, wh- or whether someone sent it in and I just opened up the tab. I'm sorry if this was contributed by a listener and we're forgetting to credit you, but Neanderthals were capable of making art. <laughs> Contrary to the traditional view of them as brutes, says this BBC article. It turns out that the Neanderthals were artists. A study in the journal Science said they made cave drawings in Spain that predate the arrival of modern humans by 20,000 years. They also appear to have used painted seashells as jewellery. I guess I didn't realize that we ever thought that those old cave paintings were... Yeah. I, I didn't realize we were calling all the cave paintings until this point human things. Apparently so. Apparently, was. Right, I guess I wasn't aware of that either. Yeah. Apparently art was previously thought to be a behavior unique to our species, Homo sapiens, and far beyond our evolutionary cousins. The cave painting included stenciled impressions of Neanderthal hands, geometric patterns, and red circles. Well, it's silly to think that they wouldn't. Like you, They have like pigs that paint portraits at county fairs and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, every now and then there'll be a local news story where like, this cockatiel is, dips its feet in paint and it's making... <laughs> yeah. Didn't we just talk about the elephant thing a couple weeks we ago? And that oh, yeah. kind of bullshit. But Elephants are always grabbing brushes with their trunk and making masterpieces. We did. I think it was the Lauren Flans episode was the one where we what got into animal... What was the truth of the elephant thing, though? It was just sort of rote memorization? That, or, I think so. Yeah, I it was like know. copying oh. a thing. But yeah, I've seen the What's a sitcom if not rote yeah. memorization? You know? <laughs> That's a good point. What's art? By the way, Whoa. I want to see if... D- they didn't mention the stenciled impression of Neanderthal hands. Were those then turned into... Uh, <laughs> Neanderthal turkeys? Yes. I want to see if there are cave paintings of the first Thanksgiving turkeys. <laughs> this is something I only found out about later in life once I started interacting with Americans on a more frequent basis. Uh-huh. You guys didn't make turkeys with your hands? We didn't. I guess you didn't have the, the Thanksgiving yeah. traditions that we did. No. If you, no. Um, if you <laughs> conquer some indigenous people and then uh, celebrate with some large fowl. For our British and Australian and Irish and other overseas listeners who maybe haven't come from the Americas, if you trace around your hand... <laughs> With a couple of basic additions, you can turn it into a serviceable turkey. Serviceable is a very generous. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's it's, a, it's very unturkey like. Um, these Do you op- all eat turkey for Christmas. Yeah, it's I don't know, and that's a relatively recent addition because, firstly, turkeys were brought over from the Americans. I think the Americas a couple oh, of hundred years I ago. I think. That. I think mm-hmm. so. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. You're generally good at that kind of thing, but. Please don't correct me. The um, yeah, because the traditional Christmas dinner back in the day was well, goose was one of the options. Right. Like in if you think Dickens' Christmas Carol, right, that's what fun, I was thinking of. by the goose. Uh, and also, but then I think there was there was no set thing. It was sometimes people would have like lamb or um, because I feel like uh, Americans eat well in some reason like maybe on the east upper east coast they eat turkey for christmas we never ate turkey for uh, yeah, christmas uh, the british the what is now what has now become the the traditional british christmas dinner is very similar to american thanksgiving dinner interesting it's okay turkey with roast potatoes and vegetables and trimmings and stuffing my god i love stuffing Okay, sorry. Yeah, it looks, it looks like from a quick a cursory googling that uh, yeah, they're North America, indigenous to North America. So yeah. Um, so these. Well, they kind of look like an American. They're just they were right, <laughs> slow witted, round. Benjamin Franklin wanted <laughs> that to be the the, uh, the the official the national bird, right? Really? Isn't that the story that he wanted instead of the eagle? 
Franklin wanted the majestic turkey. turkey? I believe so. If <laughs> not, this is one of those freedom. That's I really s- funny. <laughs> if this is not true, I want to stop saying it because I hope uh, it is. it's uh, one of those things that everybody says. It does. It is more like the form of the modern American in a Walmart on a cart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to an eagle soaring yeah. over the plane. The turkey does seem very much like it's going to spend a lot of time on the slot machines in Vegas. <laughs> yes. The yeah. turkey okay, I'm glad that I didn't just repeat this like everyone else has, because it is one of those slightly bullshitty things. Aww. There's an entire article about whether this is true. Um, it's a popular fun fact that he was pushing for this instead of the bald eagle, but um, it isn't quite true. Back in 1784, Franklin wrote a letter to his daughter in which he disapproves of the country adopting the bald eagle as our national symbol. He claims that the drawing that had been produced looked like a turkey anyway, and that such a bird would actually be preferable to the eagle. Franklin explained that the bald eagle had a, quote, bad moral character and was a, quote, rank coward that merely steals... From other birds. A rank coward? Here's Benjamin Franklin's actual quote. Uh, what a maniac. I am on this account not displeased. I don't... He sounds like... No, that's There'll perfect. be blood, yeah. yeah. Uh, not <laughs> displeased that the figure is not known as an eagle, but looks more like a turkey. For the truth, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird, and withal a true original native of America. He is besides, though a little vain and silly, a bird of courage, and would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British guards who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. So he floated the idea of a turkey as a bird, as a symbol, but I don't think he actually advocated this as a serious... The surprisingly courageous turkey. It was just his turkey chunk. If he sees someone tossing a grenade, he's going to throw himself on it. While we're throwing in corrections and, or at least clarifications, (laughs) turkeys were brought to Britain from North America, but substantially earlier than I guessed. Okay. It looks like a popular story, at least, is that we owe the introduction of the turkey into England but to William Strickland, who lived in East Yorkshire in the 1500s. It said that Strickland acquired six turkeys by trading with Native Americans while on an early voyage to America in the 1526. He brought the birds back and sold them in Bristol Market for tuppence each. For Sorry. what? Tuppence. Oh, just small amounts? That's oh, two pennies. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought it meant... Two pence. It means literally two pence. That's shorter than saying... That's actually quite pence. expensive, though, still in in the 1500s. Yeah. 16th century Britain. I think so. When were jive turkeys introduced? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't until the 70s, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, daddy-o. That's if you just There's do the no proof thing, necessarily that he was the original <laughs> person who brought turkeys into England, though. But there are... Um, the village church in which William Strickland is buried is adorned with images of turkeys, has stone sculptures <laughs> on the wall, stained glass windows, and a carved turkey lectern. Oh, I want to go there. Yeah. I want to go to the turkey church. <laughs> These are like traitor turkeys, though. They're supposed to be anti-British, as we learned. They're supposed to attack British gren- grenadiers. <laughs> Have you heard of that? Is, is that mean a person who has grenades, I assume? Grenadiers? Yeah, I would assume. How would you pronounce Or that? grenadine. Yeah, people come just bearing <laughs> gifts of liqueurs. Uh, I think... I think it is now grenadier grenadier a, a soldier armed with grenades Adrian or grenade Grenier. launcher i guess uh, okay <laughs> people who star in entourage and have grenades oh yeah oh you know what because I, I was thinking grenades are a more modern weapon but then a modern like pin grenade is a more modern weapon yeah, but a, a, a bomb you throw probably is as old as bombs right? yeah just uh, like a fl- flaming projectile and things like that 
So it first establishes a distinct role in the mid to late 17th century for the throwing of grenades and sometimes assault operations. At the time, grenadiers were chosen from the strongest and largest soldiers. By the 18th century, dedicated grenade throwing of this sort was no longer relevant, but grenadiers were still chosen for being the most physically powerful soldiers and would lead assaults in the field of battle. That's where, like, all the shot putters would go. Yeah, right. I was wondering if it was, like, baseball throws or shot put throws. Basically. Heavier that, uh... So grenadiers would often lead the storming of fortification breaches and siege warfare, although this role was usually more usually fulfilled by all-arms volunteers f- called full-on hopes. Oh, Jesus. Wow. And might also be fulfilled by sappers or pioneers. Sappers? Uh... We're getting deep into army, ancient <laughs> army lingo. So now this, well, if you want to get, I excel so the forlo- the, forlo- the for- <laughs> forlorn hope is like the name suggests, basically the front line of like cannon fodder. Like you, forlorn the, hope, as in basically you don't the, have any hope of living. You've got very little chance of living. Jesus you basically Christ. go in first uh, to try and make a hole for everyone else to get through. Can't they just give them like a euphemistic name, like <laughs> a, the fun, the fun squad, or something? A, a sapper is a combatant or soldier who performs a variety of military engineering duties such as breaching fortifications, demolitions, bridge building, laying or clearing minefields, preparing field defenses, and a pioneer is a soldier employed to perform engineering construction tasks. The term is in principle similar to Sapper. What was the depressing one called? The Forlorn Hope? Forlorn Hope. Yep. How do you get that? Like... I feel like they get more people if they caught it like, eh, you never know. The, you never know. Yeah. The good luckies. <laughs> Hoping for the best. Well, I guess it does have hope in there. Yeah. Right. Just, it's a lot of people who didn't know forlorn. what forlorn meant. <laughs> it self-selects. For the yeah. What does forlorn mean? It's godly. <laughs> it means it 100%. Really good looking. <laughs> it means very high chance of sexual conquest. <laughs> hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, like and then the word hope for some reason. I like to get full on, yeah. <laughs> you know, I get, New York. I get full on on a woman. Yeah, I get two, you know. three, forlorn. <laughs> How many lawn you like? Uh, if, uh, as long so, as. Oh, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? As long as we're disproving urban legends about uh, turkeys, do you want to also <laughs> disprove. <laughs> That's my podcast. <laughs> Do you want to disprove uh, another sort of urban legend about um, airplane air? Let's do that. But first, oh, I just yeah. want to tell you where these cave paintings were discovered. Oh, that's oh, right. We're yeah. still in the we middle got of way, We got very much this is my fault. waylaid. Uh, they occupy three sites in Spain around 700 kilometers apart. The researchers use a technique called uranium-thorium dating to obtain accurate ages. It relies on measuring the radioactive decay of the uranium that gets incorporated into mineral crusts formed over the paintings. The results gave a minimum age of 65,000 years ago for the cave art. Damn. Modern humans only arrived in Europe roughly 45,000 years ago. This suggests that the Paleolithic artwork must have been made by Neanderthals, which is a sister species to Homo sapiens, and Europe's sold human inhabitants at the time. But so far, the researchers have only found abstract expressions of art by the Neanderthals. Professor Alistair Pike from University of Southampton, who's a co-author said, soon after the discovery of the first of the fossils in the 19th century, Neanderthals were portrayed as brutish and uncultured, incapable of art and symbolic behavior, and some of these views persist today. Our issue of just how human-like Neanderthals behaved is a hotly debated issue. Our findings will make significant contributions to that debate. I wish there were just a couple of them left around today. Well... (laughs) I mean, I know we, have, we some of us shared more. Do you know you can send your your like some your spit off to some company and find out how much Neanderthal you have, or maybe uh, just twenty three and me? Oh, I've been you. sending my spit to companies <laughs> for years. 
but <laughs> was it just 23 and me or was there a separate Neanderthal one I don't was... know I'm not entirely sure we've talked about this I before I don't want to know Jesse Case was gonna he wanted to uh, send his off to see because he, he suspected maybe he had a little more oh yeah if you is... see my mother's side from North Carolina there's no way <laughs> I don't have some Neanderthal little Neanderthal <laughs> so we had a pilot write in BJ Slater who is a pilot uh, flight instructor and aircraft mechanic there you go all fairly well-rounded knowledge base for this and he said uh hey guys love the show but i have to send in a correction slash clarification on a comment in episode 280 about recirculated air on airliners first of all james is this the thing that you've heard like that's why people get sick because like it's the same air getting you know on a flight getting recirculated throughout the cabin right yeah. and we've also heard which and, never made sense to me i mean it wouldn't you, would, you eventually would burn up all the you would use all the oxygen and it would just be covered uh, I, would, I would think at some point uh, there would have been a class action lawsuit yeah. making them stop doing that <laughs> if everyone was really getting we'd also heard that Sick the air everything. is less clean since they banned smoking because they pump in new air less frequently is oh, the thing that, that we heard. Oh, I agree you should be able to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? And I that sounds way healthier. Does it, it seems like, I think it was like one of those rare instances where we got it right. Like, Maybe we shouldn't all be smoking in this uh, tube in the sky. Uh, yeah, I remember, and we, we talked about this a bit on the Sarah Morgan episode, that the smoking cards on trains in Britain. It's still around? There's Not still anymore. Around. It's oh. done now. There's no smoking on any trains? No, because there's no smoking in any public place of work. Oh. In Britain. Same as in, you know, in California. Same as... I you just c- didn't... I just thought... In all of Britain? I wasn't judging you guys. I just didn't know if that... You thought we wouldn't yeah. have got there yet? I thought there'd still no, be pubs. I there. thought... I meant it as a plus. I thought maybe... Some old traditions, you know. That. But anyway, so there's <laughs> the myth that, uh, you know, it's just all the same recycled air. And there is yeah. some air that's being recirculated but uh but fresh air is continuously being fed into the cabin he writes despite popular myths airline cabin air is very clean and not laden with whatever pathogens or odors mm-hmm. the passengers brought on board the true story of how airliners provide pressurized air for the cabin is so much more interesting than the myth Ooh. the air you breathe on a plane is the same fresh air that the, the plane is flying through the air enters through the engine inlets where it passes through the big turbofan at the front of the engine and then a series of smaller fan-like rotors that compress the air more and more. All this compression heats the air to very high temperatures. Most of this hot compressed air is used by the engines, but a small amount of it is bled off and used for a variety of purposes in other parts of the plane. This bleed air, as it's called, is fed from the engines before any fuel or anything is added by. It's still clean air, just highly compressed and hot. The air can be used to run the anti-icing equipment on the plane or anything else where pressurized air is handy. Much of the bleed air is routed to air conditioning packs in the belly of the plane. Usually there's two. Here, the air is cooled and its pressure reduced to an amount usable in the aircraft cabin. The air conditioning packs cool the air using an air cycle method rather than the vapor cycle used by home air conditioners. There's no freon or refrigerant used. Instead, the hot compressed air passes through heat exchangers where some of the excess heat is taken away. Then the air passes through an expansion valve, which allows it to expand, reducing its pressure and temperature at the same time. Yeah, that's the thing, like one of the way because you might remember from high school physics that pressure and temperature are related right same reason if you're pumping up a bicycle tire you feel the pump starts to get really hot or if you spray like a one of those compressed air cleaning can things it gets it gets really cold yeah can i just give a quick note if he wants people to feel better Uh about that maybe don't call it bleed air (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> People are going to panic. How about hemorrhage air? Does hemorrhage air <laughs> Other air, so this bleed air is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this, it makes, so this uh, lack of compression, this, this decompression makes the air cold enough to cool the cabin on a hot day. The cool air can then be mixed with some of the hot air <laughs> to achieve the desired cabin temperature. The, the, the plane is pressurized. I love plain air. I've always thought it was mm-hmm. like not that bad. I always thought it's it smelled fresher than air. regular air. Interesting. So the plane, well, it's from much higher up, so it's going to be relatively away from most of the pollutants, I would have thought. Yeah. Except some that maybe get yeah, trapped yeah. in the high ground. I don't, I don't know. Flying <laughs> over Gary, Indiana, you're probably fine. So the plane Sorry, is Gary. pressurized. Sorry, Gary. A, oh, poor Gary. <laughs> they got a song about them. They're fine. Such a funny... Ne- like any... It's like when a dog's named up has a person name. <laughs> like a, a city shouldn't have a person it name. Be Gary. <laughs> it's like, or it should at least be an old timey name. Yeah. Like like Sir Walter like Winchester. Raleigh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not something. Gary. Yeah, no. <laughs> so the, I grew up in Caitlin. <laughs> Where are you guys from? <laughs> so the plane is pressurized by blowing air into the cabin faster than it can escape. Air from the air conditioning packs is blown through the cabin ventilation, cabin ventilation ducts and flows through the cabin. It varies by airplane, but generally air flows from the top of the cabin towards the floor and some of the nose of the airplane... I'm going to say airplane, I'm sorry. It's too American for me. What do you mean? Towards the tail. We say airplane rather than airplane. Aero. You do the extra... Mm-hmm. You say arrow, and we spell mm-hmm. it differently as well. Oh, because they're I all big. Uh, oh. They're all big red hot chili peppers yeah, fans. Good. <laughs> <laughs> after so yeah, flows, you were saying flows from the nose to the tail. Yeah, after air leaves the passenger cabin, some of it is recirculated, but only par- after passing through high quality filters. Eventually, all the air escapes through an outflow valve at the back of the plane. The outflow valve is the device that controls the cabin pressure by controlling how fast air is allowed to escape. It's usually controlled by an automated system that gradually varies the pressure as the plane climbs and descends. As for why it might, the plane might smell awful after a long flight, and he says, I don't know if that's true. This is something that I'd heard, I which don't is... really... I've never noticed Well, that. I'd heard that you, you don't notice it because you're inside the plane, but I'd heard that when uh, the cabin crew, the, when the ground crew, rather, opens the door, they get hit by a waft of... After a long-distance flight. That probably... Yeah, that makes sense. But... Because you're slowly getting used to it, and they're just like... Yeah, but BJ dollar. says... As for why it might smell awful, it it could be because the people on board might it's be more odorific. It's full of humans. <laughs> at the end of a long flight, yeah. it's not it's not the air. It's not the recirculating air. That's the most human instinct, though, to blame the air. Yeah, <laughs> like it's and not it, us. us. Well, it is. It's the humans, <laughs> but I thought like it was just like eight hours of farts. recirculated farts and <laughs> right. bo. Yeah, no. But he's saying no. It's just like the freshly created farts and bo, and not a long term. Those thing. are fresh farts you're yeah. smelling. This is a cute, not chronic fart over here. We're and he, smelling. And he says the only time I've known an airliner to have a strong, pungent smell is when you first open the cabin door after the plane has been sitting overnight, when it's sealed up with no ventilation mm. at all. Well, that all makes sense. Why do you get sleepy on planes? Is it the altitude? I, I wonder how much of it is... Or just the movement? I think some of it is the altitude, but some... Because I get sleeping on a coach as well, which is a mm-hmm. sea level. Yeah. You know, okay. I, I don't... I mean bus? I forgot. But the... a bu- yeah, bus. Okay. Or a, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brits yeah. normally separate... Like, a bus normally means more of like an intercity hop-on, hop-off thing, and a, a coach is more in between cities, long distance, gotcha. or ones that you hire as like a school group or a... Oh, okay. Right, right, right. But yeah, I get... What's a lorry? That's a semi? Yeah. Okay. There's a truck. Yeah. So, um, 
So, yeah, so Chuck did you not Lorry's, have the red... so Chuck Lorry's name in Britain is Chuck Truck? Except with a Y. <laughs> you... Chuck the Truck. Did you not have red lorry, yellow lorry as a tongue twister? Uh, no, we had leather. Uh, le- yeah. Oh, leather, okay, yeah. Leather, leather. Unique New York. Unique New York. The arsonist had oddly shaped feet. <laughs> well, I guess we the didn't really have that. Was I don't denied a bank loan. Yeah. The- <laughs> I didn't know it until that movie. So. Well, some of those are real. And some of <laughs> no, those right, were yeah, Adam McKay. I was, was like, we had that growing up. I'm like, I didn't know it until is- Anchorman. <laughs> the arsonist had oddly shaped feet is my favorite. <laughs> so- I want to know if that was improvised or who wrote that. I want to shake that man's hand. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Anchorman, if anybody doesn't remember. God, that's a great film. Yeah. Thank you, BJ Slater, for that perspective. Yeah, I'd like to Thanks, be cor- I'd like to be disabused of my um, urban legend beliefs. So, and it doesn't make me feel better about the air. We have Not great. We have great listeners. We all, another oh, yeah. thing that great listeners have done is use the donation button. Oh, I thought oh. you were going to read the question about farts, but after the donation thing, we have a listener we'll question. A, we'll do a farts question. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of monthly donations have come through. Thank you very much for the monthly donations from Emma Wilton's, Vonimir Croons, Peter Lipchi, Leanne Major, Jake Swenson, Callum Gleason, Keith Stadenfield, Matthew Arnold, Jacob Rochester, Stuart Holding, Pandora Young, James Casson, Karen Meeburn, Brooks Gilmore, Patrick Chalky, Drew Chapman, Stephen Edmonds, Peter Long, David Worth, Destruction Lane, whoever you are. Uh, thank you, all of you. And a very big thank you to uh, Justin Broad and a huge thank you. As always, to Linda Moulton, you are all very generous. If oh, you wish, and a one-off from da- from Daniel Monson. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Daniel Monson, as well for the one-off donation. If you want to either set up a monthly donation or just chuck us some money as a one-off to help us keep this thing going, you can go to probablyscience.com, click on the donate button, and do that there. If you're not able to do that, spread the word, tell people, let people know about our stuff. Tweet, Facebook, do all that kind of good stuff because the more ears we have on the show, the more we like it and the more chance we have of making money out of it. So thank you, mm-hmm, all of true. you. I want to ask a favor of any gastroenterologists who listen. We had an email from a listener who I'll just call, first name. I'll just do Alec in case he wants anonymity. Uh, straight to the point, are you more likely to fart in your sleep if you sleep on one side or the other? This is a great question. It's an interesting theory <laughs> because you know the, uh, the colon, the last bit of it descends uh, along the right side and i know you are more likely oh, to get right. acid reflux sleeping on one side than the other and oh, i now okay. can't remember which way it is is that where righty tidy lefty lucy maybe from? i do like you you cut it off this sentence the next sentence is a treat uh, alex which... says i've been bothering everyone i know in the medical field about this and the gastroenterology center in portland won't answer my emails <laughs> come on portland so yeah, he wants to know if you're lying on your right side as the fart makes its final push for freedom. It's traveling uphill, therefore it's more likely to escape. That's his theory. So listeners, if you can help him with this, prove or disprove this theory, he said it would help, uh, in, in his words, uh, it should help because it's ruining relationships. Please, please help this argument is ruining relationships. Maybe just one relationship. I, I'm going to say there's a, there's a fair to middling chance of someone in the audience both in yeah. our listenership having the both answer. the relative expertise and the wherewithal to <laughs> and the desire to or reply maybe, I also want to know if you have one of those craftmatic things or like you know you're an old person who needs to have your legs elevated for mm-hmm. circulation reasons is that making you more well there there are definitely positions because I know there are like positions that if you have trapped wind and you've you've got a belly ache there are you can sort of get into a sort of yoga position where your your Makes head's down and your ass is up and oh that's that's the, the way, way we, we like, like to, to do yoga. yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! I say, 
<laughs> so, so dumb. So there, there are positions that make farting more or less likely. I just don't know whether one side or the other is more likely. Uh, again, yeah, listeners, help us out. If any of you know about <laughs> things like this. You can email us, as always, probablyscience at gmail.com. Tweet us at probablyscience or... <laughs> Facebook slash probably science. I feel like it's like a Murphy's Law thing, which whichever way is facing your partner in bed, you're more likely to fart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And blame the dog. (laughs) And blame the dog. Uh, You want to talk about penguins or what else did I like? Are you asking me? Sure. Or either one of you. What's what's the option? The scientists who are running for office in this election cycle. Mm. Yeah, we got, we, there are some scientists who are running who maybe should be considered who, who yeah, sent in that story? That was from... Let me see. For some reason, actually, that story's not loading for me. Is it for you? Penguins it is! <laughs> uh, that was from <laughs> from Chris Nelson. It's a story in The Atlantic, but for some reason, The Atlantic is not wanting to load. Let me see if I can we find it. We can do it a space story second. that Justin Braw sent in while you try and find it. That astronomers detect signals from the first stars in the universe. I like this. I, I'm always a oh, fan yeah. of a space sure. story. Astronomers have detected a signal from the first stars as they appeared and illuminated the universe in observations that have been held as revolutionary. The faint radio signal suggests the universe was lifted out of total darkness 180 million years after the Big Bang in a momentous transition known as the Cosmic Dawn. The faint imprint left by the glow of the earlier stars also appears to contain new and unexpected evidence about the existence and nature of dark matter, which, if confirmed by independent observatories, would mark a second major breakthrough. Finding this minuscule signal has opened a new window on the early universe, says Judd Bowman of Arizona State, whose team set out to make the detection more than a decade ago. It's unlikely we'll be able to see any earlier into the history of stars in our lifetime. Aww. Yeah, so so following the Big Bang, all the matter that now is our universe shot out, but it it wasn't amalgamated into any kind of mass it was just it was particles mm. high energy particles shooting off so the universe existed as a cold starless expanse of hydrogen gas awash with radiation which is known as the cosmic microwave background which we've detected that as well so this radiation still permeates all of space today and astronomers are beginning to scrutinize this cosmic backdrop for traces of ev- events that occurred in the deep past so for 380,000 years is what's called the cosmic dark ages and then about 180 million years ago, the f- was called the Cosmic Dawn, which is when the first stars... Uh, so, during the Dark Ages, gravity pulled slightly denser regions of gas into clumps, and eventually some collapsed inwards to form the first stars, which were massive, blue, and short-lived. As these stars lit up the surrounding gas, the hydrogen atoms were excited, causing them to start absorbing radiation from the cosmic right-wave background at a characteristic wavelength. This led scientists to predict that the cosmic dawn must have left an imprint in the cosmic microwave background radiation in the form of a dip in brightness at a specific point in the spectrum that ought, in theory, to be still perceptible today. In practice, detecting the signals proved hugely challenging, however, and has eluded astronomers for more than a decade. This dip is swamped by other, more local sources of radio waves, and the expansion of the universe means the signal is redshifted away from its original characteristic wavelength by an amount that depends precisely on when the first stars switched on. So scientists were also not sure exactly where in the spectrum they should be looking, and some predicted the task would be impossible. The team have to pick up radio waves and then search for a signal that's around 0.01% of the contaminating radio noise coming from our own galaxy, says a cosmologist, Andrew Ponson. It's a needle in the haystack. Mm-hmm. So remarkably, the, this team have overcome these odds using a small, crude-looking instrument the size of a small table. 
The Edges, which is the experiment to detect global EOR signature antenna, sits in a remote region of Western Australia where there are a few human sources of radio waves to interfere with the signal. The wavelength of the dip suggests that the cosmic dawn occurred around 180 million years after the Big Bang, which is 13.6 billion years ago and 9 billion years before the birth of the sun. The signal also indicated a second milestone at 250 million years after the Big Bang when the early stars died and black holes, supernovae, and other objects that they left behind heated up the remaining free hydrogen with x-rays. Um, here, here's, what, here's what the thing looks like. It's like a nice oh, uh, coffee table in the desert. It does. <laughs> it does. It looks like... I, I'm trying to see a description of exactly how big it is because there's nothing next to it for scale. Yeah, I couldn't really... It, 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 it I hope like a Coke can next to it. High, or it could be uh, 20. I, I don't know. I'm guessing it's only like three feet off the ground based on the yeah, rocks nearby and things. So it looks like these um, two rectangular metal panels that are horizontal on some fiberglass legs <laughs> and it's sitting on this sort of metal mesh. That's crazy. On some that, that, just red dirt in yeah, the middle of Western Australia. In the desert. Um, so there was a big surprise as well, a major surprise. The size of the dip was twice as big as predicted. This suggested that the primordial hydrogen gas was absorbing more background radiation than predicted and would suggest that the universe was significantly colder than previously thought at about minus 270 degrees C. So that's what, it's three Kelvins? Two degrees above. Two, two Kelvins? Oh, th- one, either two or three. Is it 273 or 272? Uh, I'm looking it up now. I can't remember my absolute, Kelvin conversion. Tiny bit above absolute zero. <laughs> okay, I searched for 0K in C. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, 273.15. Okay, so with this three degrees Kelvin. Yeah, so roughly... So it's it's just it's around just around three degrees above absolute zero. Or I guess you don't even say three. You don't even say the word degrees, do you? you just say three Kelvin. Yeah, I right. think. I think yeah. that right. is correct. I think I heard that somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> that is that is how you Listen, say. Listen, guys, I peaked with slot today. That's all. I, uh, slot was impressive. <laughs> I gotta go to trivia tonight. I feel like uh, this is a sign. <laughs> yeah. I peaked with laughing at farts. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both peaked with. Uh, <laughs> So, in a second paper, also both these papers were in Nature. <laughs> Renan Bacano, who's a professor of astrophysics at Tel Aviv University, proposes a groundbreaking explanation that the hydrogen gas was losing heat to dark matter. Until now, the existence of dark matter, the elusive substance thought to make up 85% of the universe, has only been inferred indirectly from its gravitational effects. Right. If confirmed, these results would suggest a new form of interaction between normal matter and dark matter, oh. mediated by a fundamental force that until now has been entirely unknown. This would also suggest Love. that... I know. <laughs> this also suggests that dark Is matter... It music? <laughs> Dark matter particles, the properties of which remain completely mysterious, must be light rather than heavy, which would rule out one of the leading hypothetical candidates for dark matter, known as weakly interacting massive particles, or WIMPs. <laughs> That's real. That is real. So, there we go. You, uh, what, did, what did you have, Andy? Uh, I think we probably have to when wrap things up. did Hawking say there was, there was... What was his big... Stephen Hawking's big announcement about the Big Bang that came out this week? Was there Hawking news? I just saw a bunch of, like, headlines about it. It was like, he knows what happens before the Big Bang. <laughs> and then he, I think... Oh, yeah. You're right. That was a story a couple days ago. Um, let me see if that's something we could quickly... While well, you look summarized. for that, who sent in the can- the election candidates? Oh, <laughs> um, Chris Nelson, I think, but I, the, the Atlantic version won't load for me. I can get it on 
a story on time, but it's not just a breakdown of. I think the story he sent was how, was talking about how the various scientists, politician entrants are doing. Well, maybe we'll cover but, that next uh, week. And yeah. I say that knowing that we almost never do. <laughs> but, oh, he just says uh, nothing was around before the. Big it, it it is loaded okay. for me. I've got, I got the article, but it's. Quite... Oh, I guess Hawking was on uh, Star Talk recently. Is what that story was from. So okay. that's that's worth checking out. Oh. Uh, I was the co-host of that episode. What? what? You were on with Stephen Hawking? We're, no, we weren't in huh? the same room at the same time. The way Star, it was the TV show of Star Talk. Okay. And the way it works is that Neil deGrasse Tyson interviews someone famous, uh, either from the world of science or just from the world of entertainment. So that was and you. Then, uh, so he interviewed Stephen Hawking. And then Stephen Hawking came to pick up your pieces. Yeah, and then Stephen Hawking chatted oh, a bit about... Oh, and some... Michio Kaku and Jan Levin on the same episode. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that was... Oh, yeah, that was on TV last night. Uh... <laughs> you son of a bitch. God, you I swear he didn't pay me to bring, the, the to bring this up so obtusely. <laughs> we yeah, did not Star plan Talk, this at all. Star Talk just tweeted on Sunday that uh, <laughs> Neil Tyson's interview with Stephen Hawking is on along with Jan Levin, Matt Kirsten, and Michio Oh, Kaku. that's so funny. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, watch that. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll link to that from uh, the probably. I just walked Twitter. unknowingly right into a plug for you. I love it. I've, I've never seen uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Stephen Hawking interview, so I want to. I'll check that out, and I want to see Matt. Well, it was a fairly short question and answer session. As you can imagine with Stephen Hawking, you've got to be fairly precise and specific. You probably have to feed him some questions ahead of time. I'm sure. guessing, but yeah, uh, we'll we'll link to the Atlantic article because there's quite a lot of people who are running for from the world of science who are running for election. And even if your local candidate is not a scientist, I would, you know, maybe take into account their views on science and science funding <laughs> and science It's kind of important right now. Sure. When you're coming to decide who to support and who to give your campaign finance money to. Mm-hmm. Why not? Hey, yeah. what we are doing... Also, uh, maybe uh, look at the planet a little bit. <laughs> it's not good. Things ain't going so hot. Um, while yeah, we are doing... I'll, everyone on the East Coast, we hope you guys are doing okay and getting out from under the... Is it still considered a bomb cyclone, or what's happening um, right now? I just heard nor'easter, but nor'easter? I think people just like saying that. Yeah, it's crazy, it is a crazy weather happening out there. Uh, James, while we're doing plugs, oh. where can people find out about you and everything you do? Very funny comedian. Oh, I highly nice. recommend you see James live. Oh, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> uh, you can, I don't um, just find me on Twitter is fine. Uh, Fritz is dead is my <laughs> handle because I thought it'd be funny when I eventually die. <laughs> That would be funny for like one day. So, so that's my handle. As long as Twitter is still a thing at that point. It's very, yeah, it was very. Um, you really think I'm going to outlast Twitter? I don't know, it's I don't neck know. and neck at this point. It's a very good question. I've, if I had to predict, I'd say you might outlive Twitter. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you can also um, purchase or listen to my album. Uh, Still together on a special thing records that came out a little while ago. Nice, excellent. Yeah. Uh, anything to plug, Andy? Uh, just listen to Twinsies. Our episode about the dueling Steve Jobs movies should be out today. Just look up Twinsies wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, do I have gigs? To... Yeah, I've, I've got a gig tomorrow night in Venice. You can come to. That'll be fun. Assuming this is coming out today, and then a couple of gigs knocking around. Next. I'm. I'm... We're back in the Jim Jeffries writer's room now, so yes. I can't really go that far from L.A. So most of the gigs I'm doing in the near future are within a, an hour or two's drive of Los Angeles or in the city itself. But if you happen to be living or visiting the city, then come and see me talk. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot, March 25th is the next Guilty Treasure show that I do with Brian Cook, the music and comedy show at Three Clubs in oh, Hollywood. Oh, cool. I gotta make it out to one of those. Yes, you gotta be on it. You gotta do a song yeah. with us. 
So go to that. That's a great fun show. That's I highly cool. recommend that. That's a cool space too. As clubs, very as before, uh, write nice things about us on iTunes. Spread the word. Questions, comments, clarifications to probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. You can tweet us individually at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen, yeah. and at Fritz is Dead for our very funny <laughs> guest, James Fritz. Thanks for joining us, James. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. It was fun. See you next week, guys.